It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hello and welcome to Commons People, the Huffington Post politics podcast. My name's Owen Bennett and this week I'm joined by Ned Simons and Graham Demonick. No pool ball this week, so the one person who really knows what he's talking about yeah. isn't here. We're going to struggle to fill this. For like stay with minutes. us, everyone. Yeah, don't stay worry, <laughs> because there's a really good quiz. <laughs> it's, okay. not, it's not going to be good. It's not what you said earlier. Okay. It started off as the worst week of David Cameron's six-year premiership, with outgoing Work and Pension Secretary Ian Duncan Smith tearing lumps out of the PM and Chancellor. In one of the most extraordinary political interviews of recent times, IDS told Andrew Marr that last week's budget show we aren't in fact all in it together as the Chancellor used cuts to disability benefits to fund tax cuts for higher earners and a reduction in capital gains tax. Cameron came out fighting in the Commons on Monday and after managing to find his way out of whatever cupboard he'd locked himself in at the beginning of the week, Osborne also took on MPs on Tuesday. By Wednesday, Cameron had hit his stride, armed with a leaked list of how people around Jeremy Corbyn ranked Labour MPs from core support to hostile he dominated PMQs. But let's start with a clip of IDS on The Marshall. I care for one thing and one thing only. It is that the people that don't get the choices that my children get are left behind. I do not want them left behind. I want them given that opportunity. And everything I've tried to do has been about that. Yes, we can debate some of those things that people didn't like because they're more about the deficit than about welfare reform. But overarchingly, what I am passionate about is getting that reform done so society is reformed so that we have more of those people who've been left behind, brought back into the sphere and the arena where we play daily, but they do not. That is what I'm about. And what I have been concerned about and raised this time and again is that we are beginning to lose that focus. And I cannot do this from inside. That is my frustration. Well, that's the, uh, the great socialist Ian Duncan Smith there who yeah. was uh, nailing his colours to the mast. Graham, very, very quickly, we were all shocked, right? By his resignation. Yeah, maybe as much as anything else, it happened at nine o'clock on a, on a Friday night. It hadn't been particularly reported or speculated on. Um, no one saw it coming, right? Nobody saw, no, no, nobody saw something this, this, this dramatic coming. No number of backbench MPs um, were already kind of complaining about it and have been for, for some time. But actually, a kind of cabinet minister resigning in that such dramatic fashion. Probably the most dramatic resignation, I think, that I can remember in terms of a... Because when I first saw it and I saw IDS resigned over disability cuts, I thought he was resigned because the government were rowing away from it. (laughs) And I thought he was going, oh, then no, I was completely wrong. Utter bafflement, I think. And, and I think, but, but maybe, maybe we shouldn't have been that surprised because if, if close watchers of Westminster will know that um, IDS has threatened to resign on a number of, a number of occasions. He's had you know, references to having a letter in his pocket on previous clashes he's had with the Treasury over uh, cuts to universal credit in particular. So I think this is always a, a, a weapon he had in his, in his armoury, but I think the, the, kind of the timing and, and kind of why now, I think that was a question a lot of people were asking, wasn't it? Was if you were such, if you, if you cared so much about cuts to, um, to, 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 to benefits for vulnerable people, why didn't you resign over 
a number of other cuts. Yeah, I mean, sure. I mean, it's wrapped up. I mean, even, you know, if you take him at his word, he quit because of that reason. But the timing's important, isn't it? And I think you can't divorce it entirely from the Brexit campaign and from the leadership campaign of kind of Osborne's future hopes. I think maybe that does play a part in why it was now at this point rather than earlier on. Not saying he, so he made this great play about how he didn't agree with the base of the budget, about these £4.4 billion worth of cuts to personal independence payments for people with disabilities. He then votes for the budget in the House of Commons this week. So surely this is a complete nonsense, right? Well, I guess the, the PIP uh, chain's been ditched, haven't they? So, in a sense, he wasn't voting them through. But they were still in the book. They were still in the... Uh, the so you, what you'll hear a lot sure. about is people referring to this red book. And the red book is literally a red book, which contains the budget in. And in it, it contains all the measures where they're going to make all the money. And still in the red book, which was voted on by MPs, including in Duncan Smith, is £4.4 billion worth of cuts to PIPs. Yeah. And it hasn't been taken out, and they've agreed it. No, no. I mean, there's, there's another aspect to that as well. I mean, why, why, were, the, why were the Conservatives so keen to, to cut back on this welfare benefit? They had this, this pledge of uh, the election, as, as we probably remember, of we'll cut welfare by £12 billion. That was, in, that was in the manifesto. It was a key kind of part of an appeal but to... But never to said how they do it after repeated questioning, though, did they? No, absolutely. But, but the interesting thing was that they, they later admitted this week was actually, oh, we, 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 can, we can do that, we can meet that without having to do these. Uh, cuts to cuts to disability benefits. So, so why were they having a fight a with the general public who, you know, playing to the nasty Tory narrative, and also to to not just back their own MPs, backbench MPs, but a cabinet who's going to walk away. So it kind of raises the question of again George Osborne's judgment on these things. Um, you know, he is hailed as the master strategist. Um, you know, he, he brought you. you like, uh, no, no time is, there, is, there, is there echoes here, and he won't appreciate me saying this, of Mandelson. Now, Mandelson, Peter Mandelson, was seen as the great strategist, and yet famously could not strategize his own career, having to resign from the cabinet twice. Is there echoes of Osborne there that Osborne seems to be great at strategizing the big things, a general election campaign? When it comes to his own things, he can't quite do it. I mean, that, that seems, I mean, it makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, he was big player in the election, which they won unexpectedly. But like, you're right, this seems to be another example of like tax credit cuts, where a specific thing he's come undone. With that, it was going to be trying to be too clever by half. And again, he's done something that, like Graham says, they've now decided they can say, oh, we can absorb it, we don't need to do it. So why do it in the first place? So we've had, so we've had these cuts, he's got this hole in the budget. So when he doesn't appear before, he's supposed to, Labour put down an urgent question in yeah. the Commons on Monday, asking for an explanation of this debacle. George Osborne does not turn up. He sends along his deputy, a guy called David Gork, yeah. who is kind of like... I mean, how did you describe him? You described him earlier on, Graham, as... As, uh, as, <laughs> as a bit like... Good, good probably, a bit like Mr Wolf in um, Pulp Fiction, the guy who... And uh, car insurance adverts. And not. now car insurance adverts, who comes up to clear the mess after yeah. John Travolta and... Um, Samuel L. Jackson leaves the brains of somebody in the back of a... So George Osborne uh, <laughs> shot him so, in the head? Is this, uh, is this yeah, I might be confusing matters here. Okay. Anyway, so um, David Gork was sent out to, to, to bat in place of... And uh, Nicky George Morgan was sent out onto the TV studios in Newsnight to do the same thing on broadcast media. Yes, yeah. who did better? <laughs> I think David Gork did better, didn't he? David Gork was quite good in the comments, right? He, was, he just has this air of someone who's, no, 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 you're and, talking rubbish. He, yeah, he, and, and he's done it before. He was, I remember, in the, the 2012 Omni Shambles budget, which we thought could never be surpassed, but it appeared that this one would surpass it. He was sent out then to defend the indefensible, which was putting an extra 50p on you. 
on your, on your pasty. So he's got experience of kind of, <laughs> of kind of going in in difficult situations and, and, and digging the Tories out. And, and he did do very well. And, and he seemed to uh, 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 generate a, uh, a, a hashtag uh, on social media. <laughs> Un- uncork the gork, which... Um, yeah, not as good as Boaty McBoatface, is it? No, no. And then what didn't. is, Graham? <laughs> what is? I didn't have quite... And then Cameron turned up, ostensibly to give a statement on the European Council had been at. But actually, he was there, you know, to, and he came not to bury Ian Duncan Smith, but to praise him, because he, he spent a, a fair bit of time talking about what a great guy Ian Duncan Smith was, and the great reforms he'd done, and they've fallen out now, but actually we love him still. Yeah, you saw that and how they kind of changed the approach. Then after IDS resigned, there seemed to be fear of him down the street, it wasn't there about the resignation. But then by Monday morning, they were love-bombing him. You had Michael Howders on the Today programme saying how great IDS was, but tying him to the cuts, saying, you know, I really support yeah. you know, all the stuff we did, which we did together. So making sure people were remembered that IDS did a lot of the stuff in Watson government. He did that. Greg Clark was sent out, the community secretary, to, again, to kind of love-bomb IDS in a maybe sarcastic way. And the same with Cameron in the comments. He was doing exactly the and same thing. And then when Jeremy Corbyn got up to quiz Cameron in the comments, he went on this extraordinary tirade about Ian Duncan Smith. Oh, no, he didn't, did he? He didn't <laughs> no. actually mention Ian Duncan no. Smith at all. No. Right? No. We checked was... it twice and he just didn't. It which, is, which is... Can... Uh, missing an open goal was the, was the was the phrase that was used. Often I think it's, on, it's on missing the... an open goal and then scoring an own goal. And yeah, simultaneously. yeah, it was no, bizarre. I think so, and I, I think the, the the excuse seemed to be that he hadn't Cameron given him the extract of the what he was going to say about the European Council, but made no reference in the in the in the, the words that he'd given him before um, before the session on. Um, uh, the references to, to the disability cuts. So Corbyn's excuse was that he, he wasn't prepared. And it's like, well, <laughs> hang on a minute. You're the leader of the opposition. You want to be the prime minister. You should be able to think on your feet yeah. in a situation involving... But you wouldn't even need to think on your feet, would you? Because that's all everyone's Surely talking you about. just carrying around the transcript of the Mar interview. Or why didn't... I've got a letter here from Ian from Chingford. I just yeah. read out you what he said. You, right? should, you shouldn't really need a script to be doing this. This is a stuff. You're looking at me doing the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> There's clearly not stuff. a script to this. Okay. So that was a, so so I think do we do we think in 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 the round that maybe and I was starting to get this sense that maybe the conservatives kind of got away with this a little bit. Well, I think they did um, and it's and interesting that I think perhaps one reason some of the Tory MPs felt so kind of they were happy to kind of show divisions and to attack the policy was because they're not scared of Labour. Then they don't think Labour's going to win the next election under Corbyn. So they have the freedom to be divided because they think even if we are divided on this issue at this point in time, it will be sorted out and we're not threatened by Corbyn. And I think I, I went to the 1922 committee um, meeting of the, the meeting of Tory backbench MPs that happens weekly and Cameron appeared before them uh, this week, and you would expect, given the the, the, the headlines, um, the kind of monumental bulls up that has, has, has been has been the budget, that he would get a a, a a tricky time, hostile questions. He would be in a project mood, but actually, he he was he was um, the tables are banged uh, uh, at high volume and, and, and prolonged when he arrived. Um, and by you? Or? No, no, <laughs> by the Tory MPs. Okay. Um, and a couple of Tory MPs said to me, you know, he was he, that before going in that they 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 felt that um, the, there would be no animosity to, towards him. That's that feels extraordinary given the situation we've been, in. and we'll probably get onto why that probably is. So who uh, is replaced Ian Duncan Smith as World Painter Secretary? Stephen Crabb. Stephen Crabb, who was of course former. He was Welsh. the uh, Welsh Secretary. So it's good to have a Welsh man in that position. I mean, I any, any, any person. Or so you would think, because he's not Welsh. Ooh. He was actually born in Inverness. 
Which leads us on to this week's quiz, which <laughs> is, is it? called, If You Tolerate This, Your Podcast Will Be Next. Right. And I'm going to read you out a list of politicians, and you've got to tell them whether or not they were born in Wales. Okay. okay? Right. If they were born in Wales, show me the Ronda. <laughs> show me the Ronda? Yeah, because Manic Shoot Preachers had a song called Show Me the Wonder. Okay. Right. One yeah, of the new yeah. ones. And if they're not born in Wales, everything must know. Okay. <laughs> yeah. right. And if you tolerate oh, this, is a, is a Manic Street Preachers. Yeah. For those and they're who Welsh. Aren't, yeah. Let's get on with it. Okay. Yeah. Neil Kinnock. So if he's, show me the Ronda, he was born in Wales. Yeah. Yeah, show me the Ronda then. Yeah, show I, Welsh. Yes, he was born in Tredegar in 1942. Stephen Kinnock. Ooh. Um, uh, I'm going to say no. no the, the, the answer that isn't. Everything must know. Every, everything must know, yeah. <laughs> everything must know. Wrong. He was also born in Tredegar in 1970. Oh, so he's well. Sorry, Stephen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. John Prescott. Um, I'm going to say no again. You're saying everything must know. Everything must know. I'm going to Great. say, show me the Ronda. You're right. He was born in Prestatin. Yeah. Uh, John Major. Who's uh, born? Isn't he famous okay. born in Brixton? Isn't that the reference you, that everyone makes? Do you, the thing is that you grew up somewhere. Yeah, he grew up in Brixton. Uh, I'm going to... Uh, everything must know. <laughs> so resigned. Uh, no, again, everything must John's know. John's checking his phone. The sound guy caught <laughs> by this. Yeah, he was born in Surrey. Uh, <laughs> Michael Howard. He was he's Welsh. Yeah, I'm uh, Welsh. Show me the Ronda. Yeah, he was born in Swansea. Uh, William Hague. Um, it, it was a Yorkshireman, isn't he? Hague. Yeah, but is he? I'm going to say Welsh. I'm going to say, I'm guessing. No, no you think show me the Ronda. Yeah. Everything must know. Everything You're right, he was born in Rotherham. Uh, Nye Bevin. <laughs> must be show me the Ronda. <laughs> sure? Sure must be. One of the greatest Welsh politicians of all time. Yeah, so is he actually Welsh though? Yeah, I reckon yeah. he is. Yeah, he was born in Tredegar. And finally, Jeremy Corbyn. Uh, well, he was born in, well, he grew up in Shropshire, which is kind of on the English Welsh border, so. Uh, no. <laughs> Everything must know. Everything must know? Yeah, no, I don't think he's Welsh. Okay, right, he's not. <laughs> born in Chippenham. Yeah. That was his experience. <laughs> Move on. <laughs> Net, right, yeah, okay. Paul's next. not going to like this, is it? <laughs> okay. okay, anyway, right, let's move on. Uh, fucking disaster. Worst week for Cameron since he came in, and that stupid fucking list makes us into a laughing stock. Not my words, Mr. Speaker, but the words of Labour MP John Woodcock. Yes, despite the resignation of a cabinet minister, claims that the Tories don't care about people who don't vote for them, and the £4.4 billion hole in the budget, it was David Cameron who emerged victorious from the weekly PMQ's joust. Yesterday morning, a list supposedly drawn up by someone in Corbyn's office was leaked, which showed Labour MPs had been divided into five categories based on support for leadership. Core group, core group plus, neutral but not hostile, core group negative and hostile. David Cameron had fantastic fun with this at PMQs. Let's have a listen. I'll tell him, that, hold on, hold on, the, the hostile, you, you, put, you shout, hostile shout, that's right, but, but neutral but not hostile, you have to be quiet, I think. Oh. Hold on, no. I want to know, hands up who's core support plus? Anyone else? Most Tories put their hands up to that because they were very impressed with the job Jamie Gorman's doing as leader. Ned, how is this list embarrassing? Is this is this as distracting as all from what's really going on? Is this just more of what we know? What is it? 
Well, I mean, it is embarrassing. I'm sure Labour MPs aren't happy. Some of them find it funny. I think, uh, just from that clip there, I mean, this should have been one of the hardest premises questions that Cameron's had since Corbyn's become leader. And probably it was the one he had most fun at. I mean, if you can't kind of win, quotes PMQs, when you've just had this embarrassing list which shows how you're you know, ranking MPs, how much they support you, I don't know when you can. It was extraordinary. I think Cameron, it was so easy for him. He was just so much at ease. If we go through some of the people in the group, so the hostile group, which is the most hostile, as you'd imagine, we have people like former show chancellor Chris Leslie, Chuck Kamuna, Liz Kendall, uh, Ian Austin. I think the chief whip was also in yes. that category as well. Rosie Winterton, who was sitting on the front bench, smiling. And then people who had seemed to be core group plus names like um, who we got. Who we got David Winnick, we got Emily Thornbury. No, sorry, that's she's in core group plus, but the core group, sorry, Dennis Skinner, Diane Abbott. Um, Jeremy Corbyn himself, uh, John McDonnell, no surprise there. Michael Meacher, RIP on the list, because of course, yeah, Michael nice. Meacher died last year, but good to know that he's still supporting Corbyn from beyond the grave. I think, so, yeah, yeah, I think at first Labour MPs were kind of laughing along with the, with the joke, in as much as there was quite a few uh, who were noting that they should have been in the hostile group, given that some yeah, of people were annoyed, weren't they? Yeah. yeah, that they weren't. I think there was know, a couple that resigned from the shadow, shadow team and weren't ranked as hostile, which is. Uh, and uh, Rachel Reed couldn't quite figure out why she was um, in the... Was it in the hostile group when she'd been on maternity leave? When yeah. the, when the list had been... Well, list it might be because short. she was running around basically putting our press leads off her own back about Labour's response to the economic policy, That's true. some might say. But I, think, but I think a couple of MPs we spoke to last night were, made the point that actually it has put, a pr- put, put pressure on, on some colleagues who um, uh, supporters or activists in their area will now use this list to say, well, why aren't... Why aren't you being more loyal to, to Jeremy Corbyn? Why aren't you? Why why are you hostile? So 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 I think at first it was seen as a bit of a joke, even by the on the Labour Party side, but actually has a bit of a sting in the tail for them, and and and, and provided incredible cover for for the Tory party. I mean, Cameron had an absolute absolute ball at PMQs Wasn't on Wednesday. A, what, was line, line, what was his best line? What was your favourite line at PMQs? His line was, now the king of fiscal rectitude speaks up. And I haven't done that justice in the, in the, no, in the, in the delivery, but it was, it was delivered dismissively um, uh, and, 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 and totally skewered um, Corbyn. And, um, when, um, as PMQs was going on, some disability benefit cuts protesters uh, sort of overtook central lobbying, were very loud and vocal and calling for George Osborne to resign. John McDonnell went down and spoke to the Labour Chair of Chancellor. Caroline Lucas, Green MP, went along and joined him with the chance for Osborne to go. Um, there was also Alex Salmon there, who I caught up with, and we had quite a bizarre exchange where he, he launched uh, a slight tirade against the good ship Huffington Post. And um, I just want to play it now because I think this is one of the most extraordinary things Certainly we've been accused of in our time. People of the right of peaceful protest. And do you think this kind of action is okay? It's a peaceful protest, why not? And uh, not even the Huffington Post can object to people with disabilities <laughs> making their voices heard, can they? Exactly would. I mean, Mind you, an extreme right-wing publication like yourself probably would. But, uh, <laughs> How very tame is some Extreme right-wing, Huffington Post. It certainly is, by my perspective it is. <laughs> well, fair enough. Um, people of the right of protest. Yeah. I mean, protest is a sign of lively democracy. If there had been more protest, <clears throat> then perhaps... Uh, 
in Duncan Smith might still be in office. Do you think that uh, we alternatively, you know, that government in there was elected less than a year ago, they're putting through the manifesto? The government, just, the government just radically changed policy and lost a, a senior minister. The government's in disarray. People have a legitimate expression of protest. Societies which curb process, protests are halfway to Taoitanism. Not even having posts. No, not at all. No, no, no. Buzzfeed's a liberal and extremely exciting social media publication. Having to post is a reactionary, dreadful So there we are. Why don't we just join the Tories? Yeah, we're a reactionary right wing. That's new. Yeah, I mean, Graham, you're the only one from us not that's met him, right? Yeah, I think. So, I, what did you do to him to make him? I've had a, a, a very pleasant conversation. Uh, and, what though? And, <laughs> uh, um, uh, a, a wide range of a wide range of views. Um, it does seem does seem does seem strange. Either either a joke or a bit confused as to as to who. Oh, we come are. on, what did you say to him to make us think <laughs> that we're a right wing reactionary? Uh, nothing. Sure. <laughs> yeah, it was a. A, a pretty, I'm convinced by Graham's face. Pretty, wand, pretty <laughs> <Yeah>. straightforward. Pretty <laughs> yeah. You've right, you, you ruined that. Uh, anyway, that leads us on actually to uh, to stat of the week. Okay. Jingle? No jingle. We're getting complaints about that. About <laughs> us constantly saying no jingle, but we're going to keep saying it. Well, we need to we need to have come up with jingle then, don't we? Go on. Stat of the week. Uh, stat of the week. Uh, one Labour MP said the last p- politician to drop a list of enemies was Richard Nixon, and it didn't end up well for him or his party. Is that a stat? No, but keep going. <laughs> right. Nixon's original enemies list had 20 names on it. Corbyn had 36 names on his in the hostile category. Yeah. So, that's, that's interesting. It. Is it? Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> stat. Oh, Paul, come back. Uh, anyway, let's move on. So, with the Tories bickering over benefits and Brexit and Labour losing itself over lists... UKIP decided to weigh in with its own internal battle this week. Susan Evans, the ex-policy chief, ex-deputy chairman, ex-parliamentary candidate and ex-welfare spokesman, can now add another ex to her CV, ex-London Assembly candidate. Evans was yesterday suspended by UKIP for six months, meaning she will no longer represent the party in the upcoming London vote. Her crime? Well, apparently signing a petition calling for the party not to select a candidate who had described homosexuals as gay rights stormtroopers, the gay Gestapo, and who claims society is now crushed under the pink jackboot. Evans took the party to the High Court yesterday to try and block the suspension, but failed. Here's UKIP leader Nigel Farage. Her suggestion is that, uh, that you felt threatened, that the media were talking about her as being a potential leader and, uh, and you didn't like that. So this is, a, this is actually a personal vendetta. You've taken her out and shot her. Well, that's the problem, isn't it? You know, she's been getting increasingly personal herself about this and about her relationship with me and been doing it since last May consistently. And sometimes in life, you just get into a bad place and you can't get yourself out of there. Uh, and, I, and I've watched, you know, as she's gone from being a very popular figure in UKIP to a very unpopular figure in UKIP by constantly criticising not just the leader, but the party, its direction, its role in the referendum and everything. So, you know, it's sad when these things happen. In a sense, you know, we all see it in our families, we all see it in life. Uh, you know, these things happen. It was uh, Rob Nisbet there from Sky putting the question to Nigel Farage. Uh, what's going on there in, with, like, what's actually happening with this? Well... I don't think any of us are surprised that they tried to sack Suzanne Evans again. <laughs> the most sacked but woman the in fact politics. That it ended up in court is odd. Basically, there was a disciplinary hearing yesterday, and there was three matters put 
that was considered. Number one is that she signed this petition against this candidate who made these, yeah. you know, supports gay cure, basically. Uh, the second one was that in a couple of private emails, she questioned another London candidate who was openly sort of trying to get, basically didn't live in London. He was trying to get someone to put him up in London for the London election. <laughs> claim he lived there, right? And the third one was that she'd refer to herself as a spokesman for the party when she wasn't anymore, despite the fact that he's in, currently employed as UKIP's parliamentary spokesman by Douglas yeah. Carswell. Um, she went to the High Court. She lost the, uh, you know, her, her claim that this suspension should at least be part until after the London election vote. So now she's out for six months. And it's just, I mean, I don't know what Suzanne it's Evans has done. And it's, it seems I mean, it's shambolic. I mean, Suzanne Evans, whatever you think of UK policies, good or bad, she's such a good media performer. And you think they run up to the referendum, which is in, what, not six months. Yeah. You think they want her all over the TV screens making the case. Uh, and, that might, and that might be the problem. I mean, there, is, there are rumours you know, that she was you know, asking the press office to put her up more than other UKIP spokespeople in the past. And that apparently irked a lot of people because she was seen as hogging the media limelight. I don't know how in the grand scheme of things, in terms of you know crimes you commit against your party, wanting to do more telly is fairly. <laughs> yeah, fairly and, and also she wasn't even the only person who signed this petition from UKIP against this candidate. Another MEP called Jane Collins also signed the petition. And I spoke to UKIP today, and there's no proceedings mm. against her. You know, so they can't help but claim this does look like a bit of a vendetta. That's certainly how it appears. I suppose the thing with Evans is she has positions they can, you know, get rid of her from, whereas the MEP and, like, Douglas Carswell, who doesn't have the best relationship with Nigel Farage, let's say, he's going to be an MP whether, you know, whether Farage likes it or not, so it's harder to sort of perhaps go after them. And, and, and what's, the, what's the bigger picture here, you know, kind of, those of us who don't follow um, Farage, dare I say it, and UKIP quite as closely as you do, uh, might say, well, this is just another, another kind of cock-up, isn't this a party falling apart? Um, you know, an MP at, at war with its with its with its leader, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Well, um, yeah, and, and they'd be right. They'd be right to say that. But the problem is this: is that there is the, the raison d'etre of UKIP is to get Britain out of the EU, and this referendum is coming up, and they are they are tearing themselves apart. They don't trust each other anymore. They're not coalescing around a single message, or convalescing around a single message, I should say. And that's the problem for them. And what also now is people are positioning themselves for what happens on June the 24th, the day after the election. I think that the party will try, there will be people in the party will try and mount a leadership challenge against Nigel Farage. So Nigel Farage is going to spend the next few months, we should be perhaps focusing on getting Britain out of the EU. Yeah. Trying to keep his own house. Are, 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 you, are you keep toxic in this, in the referendum debate, do you think? I think they're becoming they're... more toxic because I think it looks like someone like Suzanne Evans, who does come across quite well on television, even if you disagree with her, she comes across as someone who's quite measured and someone who's thought about what she's saying. She doesn't come across as a reactionary. And they're like, well, if they're treating her like this, then do I really want to be associated with, with this, these people? And I think that's, that's a problem in it. And it does, it makes the brand, uh, you know, yeah, they say quite toxic. Right, so thanks for listening, everyone. And um, we'll be back next week. Cheers. Bye.